0: is from Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Our second reading is from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.
1: Thanks, Elizabeth. Good evening. I'm Sam, one of the team here. It's great to be with you all. Popular references to heaven are all around us, aren't they? I'm sure you can think of some. This morning I was reminded of Berlinda Carlisle's Heaven is a Place on Earth. When I think, think of song lyrics, a very random song comes to mind with the title Heaven is a Halfpipe. So maybe you can relate to that from your skater boy days. Um, it begins, if I die before I wake, at least in heaven I can skate. Or do you recognize these lyrics? If you're bold, you can shout out the, uh, the artist. One step closer to heaven, baby, is one step closer to you. There'll be no more uh, living without you, baby. I'm counting each minute till I'm back to you. Anyone? Very good. And there's Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven, Gareth Gates' Spirit in the Sky, Meatloaf's Paradise by the Dashboard Light or Heaven Can Wait. Th- these references are all around us. And then... More recently, the Netflix series, The Good Place. I think there are three series um, about the, uh, the adventures or misadventures of Eleanor Shellstrop after she's uh, killed by a, a bunch of runaway shopping trolleys. But this evening, we're thinking about heaven and what the Bible has to say about it. It's the third and final week in our series of questions of life and death um, following Easter. And I have good news for you tonight. But first, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you use these moments together now to lift our heads and to open our eyes to the good things that you have for us and for all of creation. Amen. Heaven is for real. Scripture is clear. Jesus tells us to pray to our Father in heaven, and that's where Jesus is, with him until he returns. Just to be clear at the outset, the Bible sort of teaches there are two realms. There's heaven, which is God's realm, and there's earth, which is our realm. And the thrust of biblical teaching is not so much about sort of going and escaping to heaven, but rather about the new creation and being part of a a new heavens, new earth, uh, where the two are beautifully united and brought together. But we're going to look at the question, what will heaven be like and will I be there? And we're going to look at three aspects of what heaven will be like. And the exciting news, the good news, firstly, is that heaven will be more amazing than we can comprehend. It really will be heavenly in the best sense of the word, divine, perfect, beyond our imagination. And it's hard for us to get our heads around. We've got to acknowledge that. Because this life is all we've known. We've only ever known a life defined by time, the passing of time, the limits of time, or the constraints of our own energy, our own capacity. The presence of sin in our own hearts and in the world around us. To the thief on the cross, Jesus promises paradise. But what will this paradise be like? What's so amazing about heaven? A few thoughts. It'll be amazing because at last there'll be life, just pure, unadulterated, wholesome life. There'll be no more death, no more sin, no more text messages out of the blue letting you know that an old friend has passed away. No more emails or phone calls telling you that a loved one has passed away. Everything will be made new. There will no longer be any brokenness. These perishable, weak bodies will be raised, powerful, glorious, imperishable. No more will we mess up and break things and lose things and hurt each other. The promise of heaven with Tim Keller here quoting Jonathan Edwards, is that our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never really be lost, and the best things are yet to come. At last, our desires will be rightly ordered. There'll be no more sin and no more temptation or desire to sin. The good work that's been begun in us will be brought to completion. And we won't need to exercise faith anymore. We're face to face with God himself. So we can stop striving. Like having crossed the depths, we can arrive in the shallows and no longer have to constantly sort of tread water to keep our heads above the water. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory spoke of our limited imaginations like this It would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half hearted creatures. Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Heaven will be more amazing, more awesome than we can comprehend. Our imaginations are weak and frail and limited and the Lord has unspeakably good things in store for those who overcome. Imagine the euphoria of being part of the largest crowd to have ever been assembled. Greater than the euphoria at the O2, watching your favourite artist with 20,000 others. Arms up in joy and adoration. Greater than being at Wembley or Twickenham or the Olympic Stadium for a World Cup or Olympic final. A vast crowd, 70, 80, 90,000, united in their passion their decision to be present for that moment in history, all cost long forgotten. Thousands holding their breath in suspense, whooping, clapping for all their worth with unhindered childlike glee. The Bible invites us to engage our imagination through the pictures we're given. We could join theologian Jim Packer and make a practice of meditating on heaven. Apparently, over the years, Packer commended Richard Baxter's practice of meditating half an hour every day on the reality of heaven. How about that? The second thing I want us to see is that heaven will be more normal than we would have thought. This strikes me as important because if we focus on how wonderful, how other, how ethereal heaven will be, we miss out on some of the important and relatable and tangible basics of Jesus' teaching. For all the awe and wonder and mystery of heaven, Jesus used some pretty down-to-earth images. He reassured the disciples with the promise that my Father's house has many rooms. It's a mundane picture, but it's beautiful in just how simple, how everyday it is a bedroom, a guest room prepared for us. It's profoundly encouraging, warm, generous, inviting. And we get a glimpse of the resurrection and the resurrection body in Jesus when he rose. We see both surprising continuity as well as dramatic discontinuity between his earthly body pre-crucifixion and his resurrected body. For example, he was recognized by his disciples. Clearly he wasn't completely different in appearance, but not always immediately. Clearly something had changed, something was slightly different. He could eat. He said, I'm hungry, pass me a fish. But he could also enter locked rooms. There was something different. Many of you are grown up watching or aware of the children's TV show, Blue Peter. If you grew up watching it in the late 90s, early noughties, you'll remember Matt Baker and Simon Thomas. And uh, indeed, as I was looking it up earlier, there was a trio, Matt, Simon and Connie. That was, I think, the golden age of Blue Peter. Matt and Simon in particular were heroes in my eyes. If you'd asked me at the time my dream job, without a shadow of a doubt... I'd have said being a Blue Peter presenter. They had the most fun. They had all the adventures. Well, a few years ago, I ended up on a ski trip with Simon Thomas. And you won't believe it, but behind the public figure and the celebrity status, he's just a regular guy. And he's got a great sense of humor. And that relate- the relatability, I think, in that instance, comes across comes as a relief. He's not someone... That I need to keep at a distance, someone to put on a pedestal, idolized from far away. But there's potential for interaction, potential for us to to come close, to be friends. And I think it's the same uh, in a way. With heaven, it's not completely distant and other and different. And beyond us, there is something tangible, graspable, uh, understandable about it. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks of the resurrection and the resurrection body. And he finishes with these climactic words. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he finishes with his upshot, which is this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He's saying don't just sit about and wait for this heavenly body to come. Don't wish your time away. Don't go soft or drift away from the faith, but stand firm. Give yourselves fully to your work in him because our work in him will never be wasted. So heaven will be more amazing than we can comprehend. More normal than we'd have thought. And the third thing I want us to see this evening is that it'll be more relational than we would have dared imagine, more relational than we deserve. Heaven is not an individually defined utopia. It's not about self fulfillment or self pleasure. We won't all be individually living our best life alone. No, it's relational and wonderfully, divinely, intimately so. Heaven isn't about escaping this dark, murky world and the evil of the flesh for some kind of abstract paradise. It's about life in Christ, in a redeemed flesh and a restored creation. Watching the film years ago, Into the Wild, the line stuck with me, happiness is only real when shared. It's supposedly penned by Christopher McCandless, While he was alone in the Alaskan wilderness. I don't want to spoil the end of the the book or the, the film. But I think there's truth to that statement. Relationship is everything. Happiness is only real when shared. Not necessarily romantic relationship by any means, but friendship, fellowship, relationship. The thief on the cross, does Jesus reassure him, today you'll be in paradise? No, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus doesn't promise the disciples in John 14 sort of a promise of a a heaven without limit that they'll surely one day stumble across. He says, my father's house, not a premier inn or a tower block on the outskirts. Jesus' father's very own house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And the last few chapters of Revelation, the last few chapters of the Bible, are just jam-packed full of these sorts of relational promises and imagery. I saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Look." God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. We, the church, a multitude beyond number from across the generations, From every tribe, nation and tongue will be prepared, dressed, made up as a bride for her husband. Both marriage and singleness will be swept up into this marriage of Jesus to his church. We'll be united together in the purest fellowship as the bride of Christ and we'll be married to him who is before all things the Lamb of God. The temple was God's unique dwelling place on earth if you think of those two realms of heaven and earth the Venn diagram overlapped in the temple in the holy of holies where one man once a year was allowed in then in the new testament the church becomes the temple the place where God by his spirit dwells on earth in us but in the new creation God will finally and fully dwell unimpeded among us we with him The whole Bible narrative is about relationship, created, broken, redeemed, and restored. From a garden where God and man dwelt perfectly together to a garden city where God will dwell with his people. What will it be like? How will we respond? I don't know exactly. But Revelation paints a picture of multitudes around the throne praising God. And you tell that, or talk about that with some people and it turns their heart cold. They think they can just about endure 10, 15 minutes, half an hour of worship on a Sunday. But the idea of an extended period of worship an hour, two hours never mind, eternity turns their hearts cold. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to stop and, and think, to reconsider. I now don't, I don't know they will be singing praise 24 7 for the rest of eternity. But we might be. But the Bible has language too of reigning with God, serving him. There's this idea of responsibility, perhaps work in a redeemed sense. So there may well be other facets to our existence. But some worship, I think, will be part of it. But think about it for a second Have you ever been stirred to worship or praise just instinctively, like a reflex? Say you get to the top of that peak you've been climbing. You turn around and the view just takes your breath away. You can't help but exclaim, wow, beautiful, amazing. And as you sit back and bask in the glory of this incredible view, you know that it's been worth the climb, worth the effort. Or you hear your favorite music, Performed by Berlin Philharmonic at the Royal Albert Hall. And as their conductor lowers his baton, you can't help but stand to your feet in applause. Our worship in the new creation will be something like that intrinsically right and wonderful, instinctive in the face of beauty and goodness, truth and grace, life itself. We'll be face to face with the one who's infinitely wonderful, beautiful, worthy of praise. And it'll be our joy to declare his splendor and sing his glory. The American author and pastor A.W. Tozer put it somewhat provocatively like this. I can safely say on the authority of all that's revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who's bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. There's a small patch of land in Cambridge next to the river known as Paradise and indeed on a beautiful crisp morning it is idyllic with the river going through the, sort of the trees hanging over the, the birds, the wildlife the sheep on the far side in the field it is lovely but one of my friends at college nicknamed it early on in our three years there Murdery Woods because once the sun had set it wasn't quite so idyllic she didn't feel particularly safe eerie shadows it's quite isolated creepy but there'll be no creepy woods in heaven i don't know about you but woods woods in the dark one of my all-time favorite places not to be the way the shadows jump and dance as you move your torch around you hear a noise and you sort of look around and the the shadows all kind of move and linger you know how every fairy tale has its scary scene well I think I think Beauty and the Beast scarred me when I was younger with the scene where Belle is heading out into the woods on her horse the snow's falling it's night and there's a sort of slightly eerie feeling and then the wolves appear from behind the trees with their eyes bright and the chase unfolds it's, it gave me goosebumps just watching it this week And it's scary, largely because it's night, it's dark, there's a sense of things lurking behind the trees, in the shadows. But in the new creation, there will be no night, no dark, only the light of God's glory and that of the Lamb. As we find ourselves finally in His immediate manifest presence, we'll have nothing to fear, nothing to be afraid of, no hidden dangers. No unexpected tragedies lurking around the corner in the shadows. What will heaven be like? More amazing than we can comprehend, more normal than we'd have thought, and more relational than we would have dared imagine. Will I be there? Yes, absolutely. You'll be there if you have asked Jesus to come into your life if you've called on him to be your lord and your savior if you know him and love him and trust him the entry point to heaven is asking Jesus to be with you through life trusting that he'll be with you through life through death and forever how did the thief on the cross gain entry to paradise with a simple prayer a simple request Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom salvation is found in no one else there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved last summer I had the pleasure of going to Wimbledon for the first time and it was incredible center court seats, delicious food, afternoon tea, Djokovic, Norrie, Parry versus Jabur. It was electric and a truly fantastic day out. But I was only there because I was married to Claire and her aunt and uncle had very generously invited us to join them. It was entirely relational. If I'd have walked off, stormed off at the start of the day, I'd have forsaken all those privileges that had been gifted or were there to be gifted to me being with, with Jesus in the, is the only way to guarantee a place in the new creation the privilege that he offers is one that makes even debenture seats at Wimbledon pale into insignificance he's holding out his hand will we take it he's knocking on the door of our hearts will we let him in Asking the question, will I be there, is a good place to start. It suggests that we don't trust in our own goodness, our own capacity. It allows God room to work. But it's a terrible place to stay. The answer is no, we won't be there on our own terms, by our own merits. But it is a resounding yes in Christ Jesus because of what he's done. Because of his merits, because of his great love for us and his death on our behalf. So we don't need to stay there. We can answer the question and move on. The thief got it. He understood it's relational. It's about knowing Jesus and trusting him. So Jesus invites us to trust him. And then he asks us to crack on with the task in hand, the good works that he's prepared for us, not to earn our salvation, but as a grateful response. Heaven will be more amazing than we can comprehend, more normal than we would have thought, and more relational than we dared imagine. And yes, absolutely, we'll be there if we trust Jesus for our salvation. So where are you at with him? In Christ, we're already new creations, and we can embrace that new creation now, even in the brokenness of this world. We can pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in me, in us, as it is in heaven. Let's pray.